Hey everybody, uh, welcome to the show, revisiting an old TNG episode. We're doing this for Patreon. If you're listening to the show from the start of TNG, this might sound a little bit weird how the audio quality has jumped to a better place, a more uh, a more natural sounding place, but we're going to be doing this. Uh, Wes, Wes, you don't have to, <laughs> I mean, I'm just human, you don't have to heap this praise on me here. We're going to be, uh, we're jumping into the future. If you're listening to this, to this now live on the TNG Actually, feed, it's seven years later. I don't, at this point, if you're listening from the start, I haven't done one yet, I don't think. Oh, that, uh, no, you My must My first have. one is, this is, is Angel One before this? It is. This is the 20th okay, episode okay. of the first season. Yeah, so you're, you're before this. Uh, so Clay is here full time now, and otherwise. Hey, guys. This is, uh, we're just going to be revisiting this for the patrons. This will eventually go out on the live feed, which is all the way of saying that, that uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast feed, this was a Patreon special, and now it's available to you. But hello, patrons as well. We're going to be talking about the Arsenal of Freedom right now, revisiting it, because only I was there for the original one, and uh, there's no reason to keep those episodes where it's just me talking to myself around, even though this one is starting out that way. But, Clay, we're going to take a break, play some music, and we'll be back and break down the Arsenal of Freedom. Accessing library computer data. So much like the uh, the first one we did with this, which was A Measure of a Man in Time for Picard, where we revisited the Measure of a Man episode from the second season, the first thing that leaps out to you about early TNG is just how derivative of TOS it was, really. Like it's, oh, yeah. It's time. really just an updated TOS episode. Um, yeah. And it's something that when we were going through TNG, I never really thought of or noticed because we did TOS after TNG, but it, it's just so noticeable how... Everything about them just screams like this is an updated version of the original series with a new cast, and otherwise it's exactly the same thing. Yeah, it's um, it's a weird mix of what the old show was and what the new show would be, because I feel like about 80% of this episode is goofy bullshit, and then, which reminds me of the TOS show. And uh, the other 20% is also goofy bullshit, but it's like proto stuff that they would deal with later in the show. I'm, I'm speaking specifically about the stuff with Jordy and the... Uh, man, I thought Tasha was the most underrated character. How about uh, Chief Engineer Logan? Huh? <laughs> he's, he's one of them. Um, if you don't remember, <laughs> there's like five different chief engineers in the first season. He's one of them, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'm, too bad he never came back. <laughs> Uh, but it's coming up and screaming at Jordy about but, things. But yeah. it's uh, you know, like some of that stuff was a little bit more. Uh, like I, I don't, I feel like you wouldn't see that on the old show as much. That sort of uh, element. No, they, um, they certainly they focus on the broadness of the cast more than TOS ever did. I think they, yeah, they they still kind of like to make it feel like TOS. They they still have this kind of like rapid fire bouncing where Picard is the centerpiece that's listening to everything. And then people are just kind of chiming in with ping pong dialogue. Like everyone has one line and it bounces back and forth. They do, they do that to set it up, which that feels very original series to me in that it's a lot of like brief feedback coming back to Picard who makes the decision. And in the TOS's case, it's Kirk making that decision. Yeah, and also in line with the original show, that planet they go to looks like absolute dog shit. Yes, the the set design on on the planet. Yeah, yeah. they really uh, that first season they did a lot of a lot of their planets were like sparsely propped, and then just had a big 
blue screen in the background or yep. like a big, uh, you know, like the, the throne room scene in, in uh, Last Jedi. Yep. Yeah, they, um, they it's like an unfinished. It's almost like they didn't want to superimpose an image on it. They just got to put up the blue screen and we're like, there, this, this is the yeah, alien it's, world. It's this like cheap way of, of creating this faux uh, horizon with like a, a skylighting or something. And it just, the I just couldn't get over how terrible this show looked. Like it was, <laughs> I find it, it kind of like, charming, actually. I, fi- I find the kinda, set design of that planet a little bit charming. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so, I mean, those, those hokey little things that they're shooting at or who's shooting at them are really goofy. The Enterprise, I thought, looked like garbage. It, it's just, uh, it's not lit well at all. It's just really dank looking. You're talking about the, to, the exterior or the interior of the ship? The the exterior looks great. You yeah. know, they've redone all that stuff. But yeah, the bridge, just it the, the lighting felt so, um, I guess dank is the best way to you. Because I, I think of that set, maybe it's the time it was shot because this was 1987, mm-hmm. which still blows my mind that it was the, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation started the year after Miami Vice. Yeah, well, this is actually, you know, uh, interestingly, I, I guess I forgot to do the uh, the intro here, but it, this came out in 1988, actually. So it's it's only one year off, but it is 1988 for those people who uh, nerd out about the dates and stuff. But yeah, the, I mean, the point, it doesn't change your point. Yeah, it's still, I mean, Star Trek The Next Generation, I think, gets talked about as more of an 80, uh, 90s show, but it is solidly in the 80s. Mm-hmm. It, it uh, there's there. It's uh, got definitely got one foot deep up in the eighties. <laughs> it spent half of its lifetime in the eighties. It was from eighty seven yeah. to ninety three. So that that yeah. it splits the difference basically. Commander Data, Lieutenant Yar, sir. Other than ourselves, I'm picking up no life signs here. I know. Riker, you didn't answer me. Who sent you here to look? Your mother. She's worried about you. Tell me about your ship, Riker. It's the Enterprise, isn't it? No, the name of my ship is the Lollipop. I have no knowledge of that ship. It's just been commissioned. It's a good ship. Refresh me, would you, Riker? What's its size, its complement? Who is here with you? What's the armament on the Lollipop? Paul, I will only answer your questions if you answer mine. Why do you want to know so much about my ship? Yeah, to get it out of the way, just for completion's sake, this is the Arsenal of Freedom. It's the 21st episode of the first season. I think it's 20th, though. They're counting Farpoint as two episodes. Uh, aired on the April of uh, April 11th, 1988. Teleplay goes to Richard Manning and Hans Beemler, who we know from DS9 more recently. Story credit goes to Maurice Hurley, who was uh, one of the showrunners at this point, and Robert Lewin, directed by Les Landau, who's been a Star Trek director forever. In this episode... Jordy LaForge takes the Enterprise into battle while Captain Picard and an away team are trapped on the planet Minos, taking fire from a dangerous automated weapons system. I didn't listen back to the original podcast I did for this one, Clay, but I remember why this is one of my top five episodes of the first season quite uh, strongly. <laughs> Because it's like barely got its head above water. Because it, it's competent. Yeah, it's it's not it's not anything great shakes. It's it's probably a three out of five. It took- it took four people to come up with this story. <laughs> I mean, uh, the, to be fair, it, it feels like it was four people because it feels like two very different episodes kind of like mashed together. But the thing that stuck out to me, and you've been removed from the first season of Star Trek for a while, so I have too. It's not like I rewatched these. But this was the this one stuck out to me 
as the first episode that they actually used the fact that they had a fairly large cast compared to TOS at this point and <laughs> did divergent storylines with everybody. So everyone oh, had something to do. And before this, a lot of the episodes really felt like they were dragging because it's a lot of people working on one problem at the same time. And Arsenal, even if it's not a great episode, I do think that it splits the cast up and keeps the pace of the episode going pretty strongly because of the multiple storylines that they've got going on, where a lot of the storylines are on the planets and it's Geordie on the Enterprise, but at least you're you're checking in with different groups throughout the episode sure. and they all have their own problems to deal with. Yeah, and I, you know, it's funny, I actually thought, um, uh, and if you... <laughs> If you're new to the podcast and this is your first listen through, you will uh, find out shortly that I'm I'm a, a big Tasha Yar apologist. <laughs> um, I actually thought she was the most interesting character in the episode because mm-hmm. she she showed the most character. Um, like at the beginning, not only does she she think that like Riker is a dumbass, uh, she actually I don't know if they've ever done this again she, uh, when he. When Picard sends the away team down and Riker gives the order, she actually goes, no, that's not a great idea. Maybe we should do it this way. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Like she actually is engaged with, with the decision-making process. They're big. Um, in, early TNG is very big into uh, structure of command, chain of command type stuff. They do the I, same. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, they, <laughs> they, do, they do the same with... Um, this was kind of the the this was one of the first episodes too where they broke from the thing where Picard no longer beams down to the planet like Kirk did, mm. which was a big change. And Deanna Troy calls him out on it, and says it's not a good idea, and he says no, and he goes down anyway. It, it makes it for a more entertaining show if the captain is allowed to go down occasionally. Yeah, and I I do like that they that him going down wasn't the first move. That it was something that he do, he did uh, he and um, Crusher go down se- as a secondary move. I, I think that. That makes it the captain leaving the ship a little bit more special, I think. Yeah, yeah. He goes down to rescue Riker, who's been frozen, and the uh, he gets shot by the little floating shampoo bottle and is frozen. Yeah. After some tour de force acting from uh, from uh, Jonathan Frakes in this episode, <laughs> I there's that scene where he talks about the lollipop being a good ship. I still think that's a very strong stretch of dialogue from TNG. For you know, like he he gets a little bit fired up when he's talking to that imaginary friend of his, and he's like, "You know best, who I am. Say who I am." Part of it, the best part of it is when when uh, uh, what's his name, Rice, Paul Rice, yeah, Paul Rice says something, and then Riker just goes, "Your mother." <laughs> <laughs> she says hi. And but there's there's the part where he gets fired. There's one stretch where he gets fired up where it was like they must have been running low on time or something because he should have done a second take. <laughs> when he when he sneaks around the tree, he uses the palm yes. tree as a little bit of business, and he's like, "You yes. know who I am. Say my exactly. name." That's it. Yes, I re- I I do. It's um, you know, I just that scene sticks out to me. It's very memorable for being an early season thing, and it. it the other thing that's funny when you go back is that Riker had a really different role in the early seasons than he eventually settled into. He's much more of the analog to Kirk in how he talks to people and what he does on the away missions and things mm-hmm. like that. And he he's almost more prominent in the early seasons than he becomes. And it's almost a shame because I like Riker a lot as a character, but he certainly... Picard steps forward and he recedes a little bit as the show wears on. But I, I like him in this. Um, everyone is very... Eager, I guess, would be the way I describe it. And the thing, like, 
especially because we're in the midst of uh, Picard right now. Patrick Stewart sticks out as his, like, he's so much younger seeming in these. Yeah. Like, he looks almost the same, but he's he's got a much more youthful energy, and the way that he plays Picard is much more curt and um, business-like, which they kind of play off of in his, his storyline where he falls into the hole with Crusher and he has to tend to her in a role reversal where he gets to be the doctor. Yeah, that was, um, I kind of, I was kind of hoping that, that Crusher would take a little bit more initiative in that situation, be, being the doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, Picard would be terrible. There's a certain point where I, I thought he was just doing business and was not actually going to do something that looked like he was helping, <laughs> where he grabs a stick and he breaks the stick and just, like, shoves it under her arm. And yeah. I was like, is he not even going to tie that up? <laughs> but then he eventually does. But I was kind of hoping it would be more of, like, Crusher... I obviously this is something that I think you do on a show where you have a better handle on your characters, but I was hoping it was cru- would Crusher be more telling him what to do, you know, You're or right, even yeah. like you know she's got a busted arm, but she's like tying the thing with her teeth. Yeah, because um, that thing pretty, where uh, that thing where Data always is just ahead and he has to tell the person how to use the computer properly. Yeah, kind of scene. yeah. yeah. Um, he, here it's. It's early enough TNG where they're just archetypes, and the, the writing would sure, yes, th- the writing yeah. would think that just the fact that the doctor can't be a doctor is enough for this plot line and in this style of writing that they were doing. Yeah, yeah, I think the um, the thing that really doesn't work for me in this episode is that um, did you generally it, like it, or w- w- did you feel this was a, a season one thing, or do you think going it, back to it was enough of a like I, nostalgia kick? I if I had watched all of season one. Maybe I would have liked this more, but sure. since this is the first season one episode I've watched, probably since I did Angel One five years ago or six years ago or however long it was, um, I don't it it especially coming off of Picard and coming off of Deep Space Nine. I spent the whole time watching this, going like, God, Deep Space Nine was so good <laughs> because <clears throat> it's so goofy and it's just so. Uh, as I, I was going to say, the thing that doesn't work for me overall is that i don't really feel like it's about anything Mm -hmm. and you just have these disparate elements sort of happening that aren't really driving towards any theme of the episode which is stuff that they get a lot better at as the show goes on um and like (laughs) the fact that it (laughs) That it it's it it takes coming down to like the last thirty seconds of the kill shot for bleeding out Doctor Crusher to suggest they unplug the machine. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got data is there. He's not. He, he not even. He was like, "What if we uh, click the off button mm-hmm. on the machine?" You know, it was just. It seemed like it wasn't. The the plotting was didn't really seem like it was driving towards anything. The stuff with Jordy was kind of interesting. But even there, I think they kind of, I don't know. I, uh, <clears throat> I I think in a later show, it would have been more interesting because I was really getting into it when um, the ship almost gets blown up and then he calls down for Logan to come up out of the engine room because I thought he was actively going to like give up command. Right. And I guess in that case, they, they did their job because they got me to think that that was going to happen, um, which I thought would have been a more interesting story. But um, – it's just I I didn't feel like the stuff with Jordy was really meant anything other than the little story they were telling there, and the stuff on the planet seemed like it didn't mean anything at all. Yeah, like I didn't coming out at the end after you get this whole uh, revelation about what happened, which I think is essentially the plot of the movie Forbidden Planet. I'm not mm-hmm. totally sure. Yeah, um, 
you there's not like an aha moment coming out of there. It was just 20 minutes of running around on a planet getting shot by a floaty thing. Yeah. The, you know, it's just it was really it was really it rang really hollow for me overall. I think that um the reason I find it bearable, I suppose, is because I do I do view it as a TOS update in a lot of ways. Sure, and so sure. if you look at it, the episode is kind of about like it's a parable about arms deals, which is that like in in a there's this idea that we're gonna sci fi this idea of uh dealing arms and it's probably based off Iran Contra uh stuff and things like that of the time, where we're gonna have this species who provides arms to both sides of a war. And we ourselves, ironically, are killed by the great war mm-hmm. uh, materials mm-hmm. that we're making. So that's kind of what the episode is about. It doesn't really comment on that. It's just using that as like the setup for an action adventure episode. Right. And I would agree with you that the the writing in later TNG, if it were do, to do this again, would probably thread some kind of character story into that or make that more of like a ethical conundrum like you'd actually meet the people who were wiped out by the weapons and what they were like and kind of things like that but here it's really just a backdrop to have sort of a goofy action adventure episode that is just them running around on a planet while geordie deals with the problem up in space and i i kind of like it just for how simple and like thoughtless it is in a lot of ways and Again, compared to the rest of season one episodes, this is almost like Shakespearean in how <laughs> how its production came along. So I, I do like it as just one of the standouts of an early season, just in the fact that it's... um, I don't think there are horrible episode-killing errors in this episode compared to a lot of the other ones this early. Sure. Um, it yeah, even has I, the um the very TOS thing of the... Uh, the act I forget the actor's name, but the guy who plays the AI salesman at the end. Oh yeah, Vincent Chiavelli. Yeah, Vincent Chiavelli. Yeah. He's he's even very TOSy. Where characters like that in TOS were always a bit of like a quote unquote character. Like they they were yes. always a little yeah. bit broad or a little bit goofy. And he's a exaggerated salesman character. And TNG would go away from doing that as it moved on. But TOS always embraced that. When you have this small role, make it as big as possible to make it memorable. And it feels very reminiscent of that stuff. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that they were actually going to run into that guy in real life and he was going to be like the only one left or something. Right. So at least that point, you you could get that um, point of view of the man who's selling arms to both sides of the war ends up the only one left having destroyed the planet, you know, that kind of thing. Yes. Very Twilight Zony. Um But yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely very arch in his portrayal. I mean, that guy's is good at that stuff. So it was a good casting, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you liked Yar in this one. I like Picard. I, I like the way that Patrick Stewart plays early Picard in a lot of ways. I think that the, um, I think the cast is generally pretty good in this one for how early it is. I mean, the the focus on Jordy as kind of a young up-and-comer who's not the chief engineer is always a little bit funny. But uh, Worf is probably, like, Worf is still stuck in his early TNG of he was just supposed to be the background Klingon at this point, and he doesn't really have much to do. Kills it there. (laughs) Absolutely crushes it. Michael Dorn doing good work. But otherwise, I thought everyone was... um, Everyone is pretty solid in this. Like you, you see the the basic entry point for these characters, and you'll see where they develop to. But I, I certainly no one was embarrassing, and there's there's no Wesley Crusher in this episode. I think uh, interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess the the it's, last thing that really sticks out as an early T, uh, TNG episode is the um, they were still doing the saucer separation 
at this point oh, in the series for, yeah. for any reason whatsoever. Still trying to make that happen. <laughs> it's, um, there, was there one guy <clears throat> behind the scenes who was just really championing that? Was Rick Berman popping his head in being like, I really think this episode, we, I think a good opportunity for the sausage to detach. I mean, they, they, every time it does it, they just replay the same shots of it happening that they oh, did sure they in, do, yeah. in the pilot. So I assume they just didn't want to waste that effect. It, it's one of I, those things that it makes sense, right? On like a, the other funny thing about TNG is that Roddenberry for as like, highfalutin as his concepts about where humanity would be and sort of this like fantasy version of there is no conflict and everything. He seemed really enamored with making everything else almost too realistic <laughs> to a point. Yeah. Like he, yes. he wanted Yar's death to be ho-hum and not very narratively interesting because he's like security officers just die and no one cares about that. So why doesn't she just die? Um, but the, the other thing is the insistence on the saucer separating, which when, makes sense that you'd put virtually all the crew on the saucer and then the the star drive i think they call it goes back to the dangerous zone to deal with Mm -hmm. a skeleton crew it's just kind of unnecessary in terms of narrative i i i would like it more if the battle bridge looked cooler Mm -hmm. but like the separated thing it looks like they didn't even think about what it would look like when you take the saucer off they just did it it looks like a darker dark universe version of the enterprise bridge it's it's pretty pretty similar to it well i i mean the exterior too oh the exterior they they take they take that piece off and it just looks like this weird you know stunted half of a model yeah i I, I always think it looks like a a duck with its head cut off sort of yeah kind of yes Yeah, and I think it's funny at this point because they're still, I think, getting a handle on how to how to shoot stuff in the show and especially in the bridge because, uh, man, Ensign Zoo probably gets the least flattering shot I've ever seen in an episode of Star Trek. Is, is she the female Ensign? Yeah. Whose Who breasts is also are just- the, uh, <laughs> She's also the female lead in Rambo uh, First Blood Part Two. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, there is actually two Sylvester Stallone connections in this episode because the guy that plays Paul Rice is the uh, <laughs> the guy who who tries to uh, uh, take over the supermarket at the beginning of Cobra. Oh, nice. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, they cut to like a side shot uh, when she gives some dialogue, and those weird ass curved seats that make you have to like sit hunched over, and that unflattering suit that they're wearing is like all bunched up around her chest and yes. she, it's just the most unflattering shot i've ever seen on the show <laughs> no I, I remember that shot specifically her her breasts just look all akimbo and stuff like she looks like she's uncomfortable she's folded into this chair and the uniform is just kind of hugging her body unnaturally yeah. and sort of bunching up underneath her yeah it's it's really really pretty she awkward. looks like you ever see that uh the South Park episode where they're like playing video games against the dude in his basement. Yes, yeah. <laughs> she looks like that, where she's like, <laughs> she looks like she should be talking like this. Yeah, they were obviously trying to make the bridge uh, very comfortable and like a luxury liner and stuff like that. But the the curved chair is uh, doesn't do much for the people who have to sit in those. The, I think they raised those chairs through the series too because I think they do. Yeah, pe- people look very low in them, like they're almost sitting on their ass on the ground in them uh, in the early seasons. I think they raised them to make the uh, just the camera angles make more sense and stuff like that. Yeah, and I, I was I was thinking uh, I was trying to figure why you would design it like that, and I was thinking the design of the Enterprise Bridge seems to be such that you could get essentially everybody in the shot without blocking anybody, right? Because you've got that raised back piece and you've got that you know kind of uh, uh, cut out middle, 
And then the guys in the front are kind of tipped back a little bit and kind of curved downward. So they're not straight up blocking everybody. It's why in the yeah. original show, everybody's always like leaning over the front of the, the console. Right. Doing stuff. <laughs> Just to make sure they got the angle on it. No, that's yeah. def- it's definitely what it is. So they, the, it's like movie theater seats. The people in the front row aren't blocking Picard in the camera shots that they're right, doing. Right, right. Yeah. They, I, th- I mean, so I think the design is – obviously, it's a solid design because they kept it for seven seasons, and it's more or less become the way that they design these now to to uh, uh, varying degrees, whether it's uh, – I think Discovery has, like, stairs or something leading up to the captain's chair, but there's definitely, like, a multi-level effect in most of these bridges. Yeah. Discovery is a little bit more reminiscent of Kirk, who's on kind of an elevated pedestal in the uh, the original yes, Enterprise yeah. ship yeah. and stuff like that. And the the battle bridge has uh, its cue from that, where it's only the single chair; it's just the captain chair in the center mm-hmm. of the room, as opposed to mm-hmm. the uh, the counselor and first officer. Um, let's see here. I think that's pretty much it. Let's take a break. We'll play an audio clip, and then we'll come back. Give our final thoughts about the arsenal of freedom. Give me some options, Data, quickly. Why don't you just shut it off? Why not? It's a machine, isn't it? Shut it off. Why? You haven't seen half of what this beauty can do. We've seen enough. Does that mean you're going to buy it? Yes, yes. We've seen enough. You made a sale. You won't be sorry. Good. Now end the demonstration. Done. All right, so if you enjoyed the content today, the best way to support the show and to get more of these revisits going, if you're interested in these revisits, is to go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. A couple dollars a month gets you extra stuff. And as always, our captain tier supporters get a shout out. Special thanks go to Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Captain Cork, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Michaels, Christian Pouch, Darth Mosk, David Beermore, David K, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, HH28, Jacob123, Jeffrey Koch, Joint Mango, Jordan Cooper, Kevin Reyes, Kyle Barrett, Mad Courier, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Elwood, Samuel Custer, Grim Santo, Sean, Stefan Minton, Tark Latif, Tom Hiles, Vault 13 Hero, and Will Yates. Thank you very much for supporting the show. What'd you think, Clay, about uh, revisiting early? We, we saw Measure of a Man, so it's not like we're totally alien to this at this point, but this is a first season episode, which is a special kind of TNG episode. Um, I know you don't have the memory of it. Would you Would you rank this towards the top, bottom, or middle of your season one uh, expeditions, if you remember um, much of anything? Angel I One do, always comes up as your negative, so. It's the only one I remember. Yeah. That one and, and the death of Tashiar are the only two I remember. How many did I do? You did a few. Let me actually look that up. As you, uh, you, you thought that Skin of Evil was actually a bad episode, um, which is the death of Tashiar. Mm-hmm. You didn't mm-hmm. like Angel One. The other ones you did are... Angel One, Too Short a Season, which is the old Admiral. Do you remember that one? Uh, where he tries to get younger? Yes, he takes the drug that makes him younger. Yeah. Yeah. What did I think of that one? You hated that one. Yeah, uh, okay. home, home Soil, which is the Ugly Bags of Mostly Water episode with the other uh, little crystal alien. Heart of Glory, which is the first Klingon episode. And then okay. Skin of Evil and The Neutral Zone, which is the Romulans make their reappearance and they thaw out those other people from the 21st century or something. Oh, no memory. That was a bad what, episode. Uh, That's a very bad one, too. Uh, did I like any of those? You like... Spoiler alert if you're watching this. Heart, f- you liked Heart of Glory and Home Soil. I think you both gave those threes. So okay. that's it. Yep. Um, I don't know, man. This is a tough one because I... I I feel like the, the the curve that you're grading it on is not one that I can really relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
if if I had to give if I was giving, I mean, I wish I if I I wish I remembered what the 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 three episodes better. Um, but based on this and the ones that I do remember, if I gave Angel One and Skin of Evil a one, I'd probably give this a two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's um, it is empty. I I think that's the I what I I'd say. I'd say like season one for me only ever gets up to a three, really. Like it's only ever just kind of a competent episode of Star Trek uh, in some ways. And I I would say that this is maybe, I think it's competent, but not interesting. Uh, It's really like a lot of season one. It's only interesting for like archaeological purposes to like go back and see what Mm -hmm. things were like back then. And not really, you don't really want to live there. It's like the Middle Ages. You don't really want to live with them, but you are just kind of fascinated by where things came from. Um I I do applaud, and I would bring up again, just for the people who are watching this, like in the context of the other shows, I do think this is the most complicated script that the show ever attempted in its first season. And I think that that's, for how big the cast had got to this point, I think that that was an important thing for the show to do and to show that they could do it and you could write stories that had multiple uh, plot lines running concurrently with each other. And this isn't a very complicated version of that, but I think it's a, a stepping stone towards something better. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, 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 like I said, I think the pieces are there. You can see the fight between old-style Star Trek and, and what it, it becomes later in the show and later in the overall series. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, thank you very much, guys, for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Patrons, thank you very much for uh, supporting us and our ability to do this again. We have to have a little bit of a shorter episode today because I have to run off. But arsenal of freedom one of my favorite uh, of the five of the fir- fi- favorite five of the first season clay a little bit more indifferent to it than that um that's it support the show at patreon.com slash the file if you're so interested otherwise follow all the social media links down below thank you for listening you can uh, jump ahead to later star trek series that we're covering we're right in the middle of star trek picard's first season uh, at the time of this recording we finished tng we finished ds9 all that stuff so Thank you very much for listening. Patrons, thank you for supporting the show. We'll see you later.